Welcome. You're about to listen to a message from LifePoint, a warm, friendly, and vibrant community for the young at heart. Father, we are grateful. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the supply of your spirit. We thank you because our gathering isn't unto man. You are the one that we have come to meet with. We've come to the place of exchange. We've come to the place of refreshing, the mountain of refreshing. And we know that we will not leave the same. We will not be the same in Jesus' name. So help me welcome the person seated beside you. Ask them how their week was. And I'm going to be cheeky right now. Help me sing to them. How are you, my friend? How do you do, my friend? Oh, yeah, now. Go ahead. Ask them. <laughs> Some of you are trying to finish the song. I know sometimes it be like, say, nobody sent you. Oh, yeah, now. I'm completely life point bad. I love that song, by the way. It's such a beautiful, uplifting song. Yeah. Written by Johnny Drill. Free publicity, didn't ask me. Yeah, so please go ahead, download. Um, yeah, stream, download on all available pa- platforms, yeah? Yeah. Such a beautiful song. But go ahead and ask them. Ah, it was not just publicity I was doing, no. I asked you to ask them. And perhaps you don't want to ask, just sing it to them. How are you? How are you doing? I know your week may have been turbulent. It may have been stressful. But I just want to say to you that more than I... God loves you. More than I love you, God loves you. God cares for you. And God is bearing that. Thank you. It's only one person that is doing it. As I'm saying, she's doing it. Every other person is just, I'm not preaching the message. I'm saying have a conversation with the person seated beside you. Don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to speak through you this morning. You know, and, and to give a word of encouragement, a word of uplifting to someone seated beside you. You don't know what burden it is they've come to church with this morning. You don't even know how their week has been. Can we you know, come out of our own personal issues and just minister love and grace to someone this morning. Yeah? So in that breath, just hold them by the hand. Thank God for the life of the person that you're holding. And go ahead and speak peace over their hearts. As I prepared for the message this morning, I was reminded of a scripture that I had, um, I, I encountered yesterday at a program that I attended. It's in Second Kings chapter 3. Verse 17, it says, For thus says the Lord, you shall not see the wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water. Yet that valley, that particular valley, you know, that thing that is before you right now as a mountain, that thing that ails your heart, that thing that is stressing you out, that thing that is stealing your joy, stealing your peace, go ahead, God's touch this week. It will be filled with rain in the name of the Lord Jesus so that you, your cattle, your animals may drink, that you will be deeply satisfied of divine provision, of heaven's provision, heaven's allotment for you in the coming week. In the name of Jesus, that which is before you as a mountain, that which you know, burdens you, whether it's a health challenge, whether it's a financial uh, constraint, uh, is there a bill that must be paid in the coming week? Is there a presentation that must be made in the coming week? Is there a pitch that you need to put forward in the coming week? Is there something that, have you been threatened at your job and you're currently on some sort of probation? 
would you go ahead and declare that the wisdom you need to thrive in the coming week, God is supplying to you this morning because you have come to the place of exchange. And so you are exchanging your weakness for his strength. You are exchanging that heaviness, that weariness. You are exchanging it for his joy, for his strength, for his wisdom. Surrounding you with family. He's surrounding you with friends, with great friends, people who would support you with the right support system. Are you in a place of confusion? God is sending clarity your way that as you listen to his word and as you go through the, through the week, God would open your eyes to see differently. His breath, he will breathe his breath afresh on you. In the name of Jesus, if you have a prayer language, go ahead and pray in the Holy Ghost. We present every troubled heart. We present every weary soul. We present every broken heart. We, pre we, we present every Ill ailment, every ailing body, every infirmed body right now. We thank you, Father, because we will not remain the same again. Burdens are lifted. Thank you for your transforming and your transformative power that is present in the room and online, ready to do that which you have proposed for it to do, ready to turn things around in our favor. In the name of Jesus, for that person that has suffered loss, I declare that this new week is your week of recovery. It is your week of restoration. In the name of Jesus, Father, we just thank you and we give you all praise. In Jesus' name we prayed and agreed. Amen and amen. All right, welcome again, everyone. Just very quickly, and um, I'll do the announcements and we will go into the word for today. Okay, so... Quick reminder, today we hold membership class. If you want to get to know about the LifePoint Church, the LifePoint Movement better, uh, you have questions, you want to understand um, how our small group system works, we're asking that please stay behind. Um, it's for about an hour and a half. We would introduce the church to you, um, help you understand our relationship with the Elevation Church and whatever other questions it is. If you want to know how you can serve God in this house, we would also be sharing that information with you. All right, um, in the coming days, sometime in the month of November, we'll be holding our Global Leadership Summit. Um, prior years, we've always uh, joined our mother church at the Lecky Center here, the Elevation Church, to hold this. But this year, we're holding the LifePoint edition. Amen. Yes, and we're excited about it. So we will communicate the dates. Um, yeah, we will communicate the dates to you. It's a video cast, and we'll try and have some live sessions as well. Um, but yeah, just note that there is something coming to enable and equip you as you plan for the year ahead. You know, own your leadership skills. And of course, if you have colleagues, it's, it's, a not, it's not a religious event. So people of all religion, uh, religions are welcome. Is it, is, is it religions? You get the message, right? Yes. Uh -huh. People of, everybody can come with me. As I sit to listen to your word this morning, Father, a door of utterance has been opened to me. As my eyes make contact with the relevant scriptures, light enters into my heart. I receive instruction, correction, direction, and guidance. Your word transforms me, and the Spirit of God enables me not only to be a hearer, but also a doer, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Okay, so for the benefit of those who um, weren't in service last week, we started a two-part teaching on the greatness imperative, living a life of significance. And one of the things that, I'll just do a quick recap. One of the things that I said last week was the fact that the world's point of view when it comes to the term greatness, you know, it seemed to connote um, affluence, influence, you know, fame, success, um, and all of these things are correct. However, there's a God point of view to it. And we searched the scripture, we saw the very first place where, aside from when God created man and gave very specific instructions about him, you know, being fruitful, multiplying, replenishing the earth, filling it, subduing it, and all of that, we see very clearly that he would use the term um, greatness, or I will make you great, in reference to Abraham. So a covenant of greatness was enacted with Abraham um, in the early days, and we, as his seed, as seed of Abraham, by reason of adoption, by reason of redemption, um, we can lay claim to this covenant as well. You know, but one of the things we also said last week was beyond the fact that God said to Abraham that I will make you great. He specifies, you know, the aside from the quantum of greatness, he also specifies how um, he expects that greatness to be deployed. He says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So it is our responsibility as believers, as God's children, um, to be mindful of the fact that we have been blessed to be a blessing. And that's even just speaking to whether just, not just material wealth or material blessing, but the, the skills that we have, the talents, the natural abilities that God has blessed us with. It is for us to deploy um, to the service of humanity. So today we will continue. Um, yeah, I also spoke about the pioneer mindset, two prevailing mindsets that we have as humans, either a pioneering mindset or a settling mindset. So you are either a pioneer in a season or you're a settler. And we said how the pioneer mindset is the one God expects of us as co-creators, as people with his creative ability as well. He expects us to keep innovating. He expects us to, and someone might be thinking innovation is such a big thing. You know, in my little corner, what does that look like? Um, if you are in a place where there is anarchy, where there is disorder, it starts with even, okay, this might be a challenge, sorry. It starts with, you know, even just um, recognizing that if there is disorder around me, in my family, in my community, in my home, what am I doing deliberately? What am I doing actively to make sure that I address this? What am I doing to make sure that things you know, have a new and improved outlook. So it is starting from where you are. That was one of the things we said last week. Starting from where you are. Um, we recognize that people like Henry Ford at a time and in a day where there was a gap. He noticed, I mean, obviously everybody was traveling with horses and, horse and chariots, you know, and his, his vision um, was to, or trains and all that. His vision was to ensure that families had an easier way to travel. Okay, and he created the first model of, of a Ford uh, vehicle, but it was so expensive. And so he took it upon himself to ensure that his vision morphed into just creating a car for mobility to creating something that became affordable and at least a middle income family can afford to purchase one and have one. And so he created the Model T. So 
regardless of where it is you are, regardless of whatever industry God has placed you, first of all, it is the fact that you recognize that you are in that place of your planting. You are in the place of planting whatever industry you are. God has planted you and put you there for a purpose. You may not always be there. There are people that are currently in their third career uh, transition, as it were. You may not always be in that particular industry. You may not always be in that particular face. It was that God would open our eyes to see, to recognize um, the assignment that he has given to us where it is that we are. So be it in your family, be it in your community. For some people, be it in your nation, in your nation, Nigeria, amen. You may have dual citizenship. You may have triple citizenships. But you are here. There's a reason you were born into the family you were born. There's a reason you were born into this nation or born into Ibadan or born, you know, born wherever. There is a reason. And so as we journey, uh, I remember reading um, an article several years back. I think it was in um, Harvard Business Review. And it spoke about how uh, all these people in your top uh, Forbes 500 companies, you know, the richest set of individuals and all, they get to a face in their life where they give wealth away. Some of us, our aspiration is to even first just get there. That's like secondary how to share what you have right now. And so on that note, please go ahead and help me appreciate all of the clubs, the small group clubs that went to different places, you know, and, and impacted lives, impacted lives. One of the things we didn't do was to interact with the people, you know, to record them or record their testimonies, the people who were being blessed, people who were being impacted. We didn't do that. Maybe not on this run. But the fact that we know we helped somebody leave a hospital where they have been, prior to the time of showing up, they had no hope as to how they were going to sort their bills and be discharged. And government hospitals, they don't play. If you don't pay that money, you're not going anywhere. They will seize your baby. So to be able to do little things like that, random acts of kindness is what scripture calls them. It gladdens the father's heart. And so if you're thinking, oh, it has to be something grand, you know. For some people, yes, it's a grand thing. For some, it's just start from where you are. And the more you open up your heart and expand your mind to connect with God's mind and to ask that he shares his burden with you, for your industry, for your family, be it your siblings, your parents, you know, for the nation, you'll be amazed at how much God is willing to deposit in you. You know, not only will he share his burden with you, he would enable you to solve for it. He will give you the wisdom you need. He will make the financial provision. If yours requires finances, he will cause it to flow in your direction. Money always flows in the direction of value. It never flows in the direction of need never otherwise all of the poor countries that we have now will not be poor money should be flowing in that in their direction flows in the direction of value and that's for someone here this morning all right so this morning i had said last week that we will continue and uh, just living a life of significance not like find somebody else we spoke about david last week how many of you remember david's cv aha yes we spoke about david um we touched on saul briefly and of course we we, we touched on on father abraham Today we're talking about Jesus, and it's very important. We can't even talk, we cannot finish, we cannot finish unpacking him, the various dimensions that exist in him. That's his humanity when he was here on earth. We're not even speaking about his, his Christ portfolio. 
just him as Jesus, the son of David, yeah, the bio, biological, well, son of God, from the lineage of David, born to Joseph. That's the Jesus we're examining this morning and how he lived his life here on earth. And it's important that we have this conversation because there's a way we think that everything it is we're dealing with, God doesn't really get it. There's a way you look at your life and you posture as though stuff happening to me, we talk about significance. Let me just be all right. But I want to show you from scripture, Jesus' definition of greatness. And we'll unpack it as we go along. So, the very first thought I'm going to establish this morning by the help of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus was a non-conformist. He was a non-conformist. His coming represented a new dispensation. It signified a new order. He came to introduce something new into the world and for the world. He shared thoughts. He shared positions that prior to him sharing these things seemed really alien to, to the Jews. And so they struggled to accept. Why? Because they had known a certain order. They had been familiar with a certain way. And so Jesus, first of all, coming and introducing himself, even though they already had prophecy, I had to prophesy concerning Jesus, even David spoke about his Lord at some point. But yet, when they see the Lord in human form, they struggle. They struggle to accept what he represents. Why? Because their expectation was very far removed from what Jesus came and was presenting to them. A portion or a section of the Jews wanted a king. They wanted a Messiah, someone that was going to deliver them from the tyrannic rule that existed in that day and time. And so Jesus, first of all, blew their minds. He did not come in the palace. He did not come as the child of a king. He was born in a manger to a carpenter. So first of all, that was already a tough pill for them to swallow. Like, surely this cannot be the Messiah. He doesn't look like it. He did not come in that packaged format that we expect him to come. He didn't come with his army of angels with blazing swords that Jesus then performed. I mean, of course, we cannot go into everything, that, um, every aspect of his life, but let's, let's look at this miracle. What would you say was the biggest disruptive miracle Jesus performed in the three years of his ministry? Anybody? Thank you very much. You're absolutely correct. Raising Lazarus from dead. So let's go to John chapter 11, verses 46 to 45. We start reading from 45 to 48, the new NIV translation. John 11, 40, 45. It says, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Now, prior to now, of course, there was a whole thing that had happened with Lazarus dying and Jesus raising him on the fourth day. If you don't know that story, please go and read um, John 11. Start reading from verse 1. Yeah? But in verse 45 here, it says some of them, 46 now, some of them went to the... Um, I'm trying for the equivalent of the Sahindran in Nigeria now. Anyway, it's like your, judicia, your, your judiciary, something like that. They, they were the highest level, of, uh, the highest council that existed then um, in Jewish uh, parlance. So it says... They called a meeting of the Sahindrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him 
and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. This man is performing many signs. First of all, he turned water into wine. You know, I mean, we can live with that. He opened one blind eye ear. You know, he opened a deaf ear there. He healed the man with palsy. I mean, those words we can handle. But you raised the dead. What? This guy is getting too powerful. And so the word signs there in the KJV translation is also is reduced as miracles. Because there's a way you process and you're like, oh yes, he did something supernatural, which, which that um, incident was. It was a supernatural incident. However, the words, uh, the word sign there, again, which also means miracle, in the Greek translation, one of the words used to describe it is an indication. So a sign is something that points to something else, right? Are we together? You all are too quiet. I, I, you know I can't see you. <laughs> so please follow me. A sign points to... So sorry, let me just get this sorted. Okay. A sign is an indicator. It points to something. And in the case of Jesus here, the sign was point to, pointing to a new order, a new dispensation. This is not business as usual anymore. So he said this guy is performing many signs. And of course that got them really uncomfortable. You know, and they decide to plot to kill him. Now, we know with benefit of hindsight and being able to read and um, receive interpretation by the Holy Spirit of what had happened back then. But even just reading it literally, we understand that this was a divine purpose that needed to be fulfilled anyway. So they simply were just playing their part in divine agenda. But as at that time, to their minds, they thought they were taking out a potential obstacle. Look, there is a way we've always done stuff. We don't want it to change. There is a way we've managed our people. You can see the two things that they reference there as their, uh, you know, that encapsulates their fear as they communicate it. They say, everyone will believe in him. First of all, that is a problem. Because once that happens, then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So, the threat to their religious systems and structure that had been defined was a major thing for them. And secondly, of course, their governmental structure. So, religion and government. Remember what um, scripture says about Jesus in Isaiah, that the government will rest upon his shoulders. Yeah? So these guys here expressing their fear were concerned about religion, the religious structures that they had set up, and they were also com com uh, concerned about, you know, their governmental institution, as it were. And so the agreement was to take this man out so that people stop believing in him. Take him out. Sorry, excuse me, please. I hope that doesn't show in the camera. Though. Can you see it? <laughs> they can see it too. Okay, let's just be all right. We have to remove the earrings. So we'll be all right today. Anyway, thank you very much, Jumoke. Thank you, guys. Thank you for sorting me out. God bless you. So just moving on. Those two things were a big problem for them. So they agreed they were going to take out Jesus. If you fast forward to John 12, and... We see how, again, Lazarus had become poster boy of, you know, the miraculous. 
Scripture says in verse 9, it says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there. That was at Lazarus's house. Yeah? And they came, not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So Lazarus had obviously gained popularity that spread outside of Bethany. Bethany was his hometown. But people were coming from all over to see the man that was raised after four days. You know how critical Lazarus's case was? The tomb had been locked up, and then Jesus shows up day four and says, bring him out. Of course, people say by now he'll be stinking and all that. So obviously, people wanted to see who is this guy that Jesus had to raise. Anyway, moving on from verse 10, it says, So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. So not only were they threatened by Jesus, who was doing the impossible and performing many signs that had gotten them uncomfortable about their religious structure and their governmental structure, they were also very concerned about the poster boy that was still alive. And people were, because of Lazarus's experience, were already surrendering to Jesus. It says in verse 11, for an account of, on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and were believing in him. Fast forward in that same chapter 12, go to verse 19. I hope you're following the scripture. Yeah? The whole world has gone after him. And you know this was what? Over 2,000 or about some, I don't know now, 2,000-ish years ago. The whole world, they had declared that the whole world would go after Jesus. And isn't it happening now? I mean, a number of people. The name Jesus has already been made very famous. And just to help someone here, perhaps you're struggling in your faith, you know, and you're struggling to believe the accounts of Scripture. Let me first say to you that Jesus was a historical figure. So before we're even thinking about him in the dimension of, you know, Trinity, Son of God, and all that, Jesus was a living, breathing human that walks the face of this earth. And there are historical records to prove his existence. So let's settle that in your mind, first of all. Okay, so I noted down a few things just reading through that scripture. A radical departure from the religious systems that, that were predicated on the world systems. Because religion had then entered into, you know, it was defined by the systems of the world. And so Jesus, as a nonconformist, first of all, came to change the order. He introduced a new order. I read um, an excerpt from a book by Dr. Miles Monroe, late Dr. Miles Monroe, called Kingdom Principles. And I'm, I just have an excerpt here that I would quickly like to read. It says, Jesus' message, assignments, passion, and purpose were not to establish a religion of rituals and rules, but rather to reintroduce a kingdom. Everything Jesus said and did, his prayers, his teachings, healings, miracles, was focused on a kingdom, not a religion. Jesus was preoccupied with the kingdom. It was his top priority. Mind, it was at least, at best, a misguided rabbinical teacher spreading heresies that contaminated the teachings and laws of Moses and Judaism. In truth, they had reduced the message of Moses to a sophisticated religion where strict observance of the laws became more important than the original purpose for those laws. And they expected Jesus to do the same. 
You see his non-conformist nature coming to play. The original intent of God's mandate to Moses was not to establish a religion, but a nation of people who would love, serve, and honor God, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation indeed. That was God's agenda. But man carried all of this intent and purpose and morphed it into religion. And so when Jesus came, he had to reorder things. So the question to you is this. Because you and I are little Jesuses here on earth. Maybe not even. What needs to have kingdom imputes in how you live, in how you, 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 in what you do? What needs kingdom impute? What needs kingdom mandates? What needs to be reestablished, reorganized, rearranged, reordered? That is a question for us to reflect on. A second thought is that we have been called to live and to lead by a different model. And we see this in scripture. So I'm going to read Luke 22. It's quite a number of scriptures I'm reading today. So I hope you're either taking notes so you can study them when you get home. Luke 22 Verses 21, I'll read from 21. I'll read the message translation. Yes. It says, do you realize that the hand of the one who is betraying me, so Jesus was hanging out with his disciples at this time. Um, I think this was during the Passover. It says, do you realize turns him in, turns straighter to the Son of Man. This is Doomsday, verse 23. They immediately became suspicious of each other and began quizzing one another, wondering who might be about to do this. Within minutes, they were bickering, within minutes, they were bickering over which one of them would end up the greatest. But Jesus answered, kings like to throw their weight around, and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. It's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you become like the junior. Let the leader act the part of the servant. Who would you rather be, the one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? You'd rather eat and be served, right? But I've taken my place among you as the one who serves. Same scripture in the Passion Translation there. It says you will lead by a different model. The greatest one among you, this is verse 26. The greatest one among you will live as one called to serve others with honor. You will lead by how the world views greatness. Not how the world views success. Not, how, not even how the world views impact. Jesus is saying to his guys here, all this argument, all this fight, where you are deciding who is the greatest, I'm saying to you that the one that is the greatest, the one that has power, the one that has influence, the one that has affluence, the one that has authority, must posture as the least, must serve. Because again, go back to God's ordination or um, as it were, appointing Father Abraham as, you know, the covenant, the father of many nations, the one to whom the promise was originally given to, and the rest of us are partakers by reason of adoption. He says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In you. So there is an expectation that God has around. Jesus very clearly here says it to his guys, scripture, and we will see how he delineates slaves from servants, but calls us to have that mindset uh, and that posture when it comes to serving humanity, when it comes to relating with people, when it comes to deploying our resources. That would be in, um, okay, I don't have time to read it now, but Mark 10, 
from verse 32 to 38. Just note it down and you can study it when you get home. So James and John here would ask Jesus a very specific request. We want you to do for us whatever it is we ask. Meanwhile, Jesus had just told them that he was going to die. He just predicted his death for the third time. And all my dear brothers could think about was, okay, you know what Jesus said? By the time you're done with this, you're dying. And you enter into your messianic, threatening news. They tell you that, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. And all you say is, bro, that's your Maserati. Just have your driver drop it off at my house. You know, that's kind of like what they did here. Because Jesus has just told them, I am going to die. Yes, he's saying it for the third time. I don't know that it is because they had heard it before that he did not make. But they were processing it from a personal point of view that, ah, man, if this is really happening, that means that you'll be translated into glory. That means that ah, there's a whole kingdom inheritance waiting for us. Let's just position. But Jesus then responds to them again, that same response that I read earlier. He gives them that response to say, guys, if you want to be the greatest, you must be the servant. This is in verse 43. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Now, in Jewish times or in Bible times, there was a difference between servant and slave. The servant is the one that, well, both are paid for, but in terms of hierarchy, the servant is senior to the slave. The servant, think about um, Abraham's servant. What's the name of that guy that he sent to go and find his son for, uh, find a wife for his son? That was a servant, but had become family member. That was a level of servanthood. But the slaves, you, are, you don't hear them. You don't hear from them. Sometimes you don't even see them, but they exist in the house. So, he was saying, you're going to have to take that posture because in this kingdom, this is how we operate. In the kingdoms of the world, the greatest sit at the best parts. They get the best parts of, you know, they sit at the best parts in, in an event. They sit at the high table. The greatest, they get the choicest parts of meals. The greatest, they lord it over others. So it's a, it's a top-down approach. They draw resources from the bottom to enrich themselves to be all right, to be comfortable, to, to, to fulfill whatever personal ambitions it is that they have. But in the kingdom, it is an upside down. We flip the script. We flip the script because we, as seeds of greatness, as people that carry God's DNA, that he has equipped with skills, with talents, with natural abilities, we recognize that all of the things that we have, we are who we are, just as Paul would say, by the grace of God. And so we must deploy everything that we have for his use, for his glory. And God's primary agenda is humanity. He prioritizes humanity. Check through scripture. Look through the parables of Jesus when he speaks about the kingdom, the kingdom way of life, the kingdom way of behaving. Think about the story of the good Samaritan. You know, who would stop to help a Jew? Levites would pass by, they would not stop. Jews would pass by, they did not stop. A Samaritan who was completely put off, you know, who Jews don't even relate with, was the one who stopped to do a good deed. You know, and I need someone to just get their minds just beyond just doing good deeds. The kingdom way of life is the one that 
completely surrenders to God's purpose, surrenders to his will. We can't say that we're embracing this kingdom living and we want to run our own personal agenda. It doesn't work that way. And that's kind of like what Jesus was saying to his guys here. It cannot be about you. It cannot be about you trying to posture and, and find, you know, book your, your seats in kingdom. That's not how it works. You've got to serve. You've got to fulfill the father's heart desire concerning his children. Concerning school, but you get, we're very what? Borrow me the word. Sorry? Judgmental. Thank you very much. We're very judgmental. We're very judgmental. We're very quick to cut people off, ex people. They don't look like us. They away. We do away with them. They don't behave like us. They don't believe what we believe. We do away with them. Scripture says God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. When solutions are deployed, when people with, with affluence are able to fund medical interventions and all, they don't say it's only for Christians. It's for everybody. People benefit from it. And so this is a call to a higher way of living. It's a call to embrace. and It's an upward call where we lift up our heads and we think beyond ourselves and we focus on what is on our Father's heart to be done in our immediate sphere of influence. So what is the skill that you have and how are you deploying it? Who, you know, have moved from careers. That's not even, let me not talk about myself, but you've moved from a career path, you know, into, you've transitioned into doing something else that is more meaningful, that you can directly see impact. You know, it's not just about getting a paycheck, getting seven or eight digit figures every month, but that you can see how the work that you're doing is resourcing humanity, is um, helping to improve the lot of people's lives, whether it's children, whether it's teenagers, whether it's, uh, you know, young people, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever. How is what you're doing helping people? And that is not to say that all of us should then get to the office tomorrow and resign from our corporate roles. Absolutely not. But recognizing and being able to ask the Holy Spirit very clear questions. Sometimes you're in that office, in that corporate environment, to be able to change the lot of your, teams, your team members. Being able to do good work. Being able to be asking for here. They were soliciting for a shortcut. But Jesus says, that's not the way. The path to greatness in this kingdom, not the kingdom of the world, in this kingdom, we don't slip our way through. In this kingdom, we don't talk down people. In this kingdom, we don't step on people. We don't use them as stones. Think about the analogy when, the, uh, when Satan shows up to Jesus. You know, I learned this from one of my mentors, I think it was a couple years or so back. He says, that encounter where Jesus, Satan would tempt Jesus was not Satan showing up in, 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 you know, physically. After a 40-day fast, this was a conversation, it was all in the mind. But when he says, turn stones to bread, there's a portion of scripture that references humans as living stones. We don't step on people to get to where we want to get to because of promotion. We don't, we don't, we don't backbite. We don't, there's, there's a code, there's a way of living. And that is what Jesus is showing us here. I hope that this week we will spend time just studying the parables, you know, looking through the life of Jesus and, and learning very big lessons from him. In this kingdom, Jesus models to us the importance of intimacy with the Father. 
Jesus did not need to pray. He and the Father are one, right? He said so himself. He didn't need to invest time in prayer. But did you notice that after every massive win that Jesus had, and what I mean by massive win is this, because I'm trying to use terms we can relate with. After every explosive miracle, Scripture will say, and Jesus would withdraw. He would withdraw. Away from the noise, away from the accolades, away from all of the celebration, he will go and spend time with his father. How does Jesus pray? But with the father in alignment with him, he can do everything. And so he models to us the way of life, the way of living here. We don't have so much time, and apparently I have a number of things to cause. So let me just run straight to practical application today. And I'm going to ask um, Demilade to please help me um, set up. So kingdom living as seen in Christ's nature. He embodied kingdom values and character, love and compassion, humility, obedience, forgiveness. Jesus was equal parts grace and truth. He never failed to tell people the truth. He would heal. He would solve the issue. He would say, go and sin no more. He would look at the woman caught in the act of adultery. He would say, is anybody casting any stone? Nobody did. Then I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Lest a worse thing will befall you. I mean, just, God is gracious, absolutely. But God is holy. God expects a certain level of living and right standing with him. Our righteousness is not of us. But Paul would say, shall we continue in sin and ask that the grace of God continue to abound? We need to be careful. Jesus was full of mercy, but he also upheld justice. He prioritized intimacy with the Father. Jesus was clear about his message. There was no confusion about his vision. He was committed. He was consistent with God, his relationship with his Father. And I need to help someone here just zone in on that a bit more. A life of significance in the kingdom is not a life that is devoid of quality relationship, quality time spent with God. In the study of the word, Thing, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that. How about you not focus on the addictions? Don't focus on all those other things. And, you know, decide to start to spend time with God and let the Holy Spirit transform you from inside out. I've heard testimonies of people who have lost cancer. I mean, we listened to Jumaka two Sundays ago. Well, you, you even forget that this used to be an issue. You just forget it, that you used to deal with this. The Holy Spirit still transforms. The Holy Spirit still changes. A lot of us are not where we used to be. We had anger issues. We're very temperamental, you know, moody, different things, impatient. But the more you walk with God, the more, see, Scripture will speak about, um, I think it's Paul. He'll say, my little children for whom I travail till Christ is formed. After salvation, the entrance of Christ into our hearts when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, the next thing that is priority to God is the formation of Christ in us. It's critical. And the only way that gets done is when we abide in him. When we abide and we remain in him. In John chapter 13, we see a very interesting story that ensues as I wrap up. From verses 14 to 16. Let me just apologize to the leadership team. 
this one we're going to extend in just maybe by another 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 10 minutes please and we're, we're done before people will take me apart at the meeting yeah we're that accountable here so when i overshoot time they come for me okay so john 13 verses 14 to 16 we see a story there a very important story where jesus you know, filled with emotions. In fact, from John 13, go and read it. Read John 13. Scripture spoke about how much he loved his people, loved his, the guys that he had been called to, the people that he spent time with. And he knew, this was the last meal, this was the Passover feast, and he was having a meal with his disciples. And he knew that this was the last meal he would have with them before he was put to death. And so, of course, with that emotion, he starts off a conversation with them. Let's read this, please. I don't want to because we're out of time now not read this part. But please go open your Bibles to verses 14. John chapter 13. Okay, no, let's, start, let's read verse 2. It says, And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was given to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and guarded himself. Now, Jesus was going to do something that he had never done with his guys before, one, but it was important he did that before he died because he wanted to model something very, 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 a very vital lesson to them. We're going to attempt to do a role play. Trusting God it will go well. But we'll do a quick role play now, and I'm going to invite Dami. Where's Dami able to move you? Dami Lola, please come. <laughs> Dami is going to beat me up when, once we are done, because she, she did not see this coming. Yes, please. Thank you. She so did not see this coming. Yeah. She was planning it, but planning for someone else. But who am I? I have to follow God. It just, I didn't even know she was going to wear, ah, see, you haven't dressed the parts. We didn't even have to tell you to wear slippers. You came prepared with your crocs. Please sit. So, let me just open that scripture on journal. Can we have it up on stage? And at this point, I want to just say, um, everyone, please help me appreciate the leadership team of LifePoint. Yes, and, and, and we're saying that because so everyone you've encountered this morning that had on the tag official, they are all leaders in the house. So what we had asked was all of our um, team members, everyone who serves in the volunteer team, should take a seat and enjoy the service. We wanted to model greatness. We would have liked to wash everybody's feet, but realize that some of you may be uncomfortable, um, and we may not even have that much time. So instead, we try to serve in another way. That's why you saw them making a lot of noise. I've said to them, though, we have to sustain this model. How many people agree? Weren't you excited when you saw people shouting and greeting you as we were coming in? Won't it be nice to continue it? Ah, they are going to come for me. <laughs> but yes, thank you so much, everyone, for every, everyone who serves in this house as a leader. Thank you for still put their hands. So we have the best leadership team in this house. Yes. Yes, and I say that with every sense of, of, of joy and pride. All right, so just referencing that same scripture in John 13, Jesus would go ahead 
I'm, I can't take off my clothes and tie towel, but you get the picture, yeah? He will guard himself and he will start to wash his disciples' feet. But he then gets to Peter. Just come and help me. So he gets to Peter and, of course, Peter now, which is plenty drama, Peter would, would um, decide that he's not going to allow Jesus to wash his feet, like Dami. If Dami could, she would beat me and tell me, BWS, you cannot do this. I'm not going to stand for it. Um, but yeah. You know, it's interesting because I can imagine the emotions that Jesus would have been. He's the least person in the house, slaves that actually do this work. When a guest comes to visit, it's the responsibility of the slave to actually wash their feet. It was part of the guest's you know, hospitality that they used to have there. So Jesus doing this for them, they could not, which was why Peter struggled to understand that how would you, teacher and Lord, you know, come and do this type of work? It's unacceptable. I'm not going to stand for it. And rightly so, because, I mean, Jesus was who he was. This was somebody that they had seen do different things. Heal the sick, and of course, in Lazarus' case, raise the dead, a four-day-old dead man. We are doing everything. You know, and one of the things I wondered was, how was Jesus feeling when he was washing Judas Iscariot's feet? How about you ask him, just dip your leg in water and get out of here, my friend. <laughs> Tender affection that he washed the others is how he would have washed Judas' feet. Because if there was a difference, it would, have been, it would have been obvious. I mean, the other guys would have seen if Jesus had. But the emotion, knowing that this is the person that would, as, as, in you, as you wash one toe, you look at his face. Are you really going to do this thing? <laughs> you know? But he still washed his feet. And shortly after, the guy went and did what he had been ordained to do. Sadly. But all for fulfilling kingdom agenda, divine agenda. And for me, that's a very big lesson there on forgiveness. In the sense that, I mean, someone is sitting here today and you're wondering, somebody has hurt you, hurt you badly. As Jesus did this, and he says to his disciples that the same way that I have done this, I expect you guys to do it for one another. The same way that for you is how I expect that you would, you know, do this. Where's your socks? We're going to wear the socks back. It's very stubborn. You know, it's the same way that I expect you to do this for everyone that has hurt you. Jesus would say, bless those who curse you. And that's for someone here this morning. Pray for those who, thank you very much, Dami. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. If Jesus hadn't washed Judas' feet, it may not have been out of place. He would simply have explained, even though he was trying for them not to know who it was, and people were trying to figure out. But beyond the demonstration here and all of the emotions that Jesus had as at the time he was doing this, knowing that I will not, or my, my encouragement to you, there is this foot washing in a symbolic manner that you need to do for yourself, for everyone who's hurt you. Because there's a way 
hurt, bitterness, and offense can inhibit you from that life of significance. It's not how we do in the kingdom. It's not kingdom code. Where you are filled with offense, with unforgiveness. There is a way you need to look above your current circumstances. You need to look above, lift up your eyes, and look beyond your past experiences. People have done you dirty. And so because of that, people have taken advantage of your, your niceness, as it were, or your good, your goodwill. And because of that, you have shut your hands. You have stopped being as good. Why? Because you are afraid of being taken advantage of. Jesus was vulnerable here with his guys. And he modeled to them what he expected. And there was no condition to do this one to another. That's Jesus' encouragement to them. And so we'll pray this morning. But just to help someone as we start to pray, practical application. Start your day of reflecting on the love that you have for others. The kind of questions to ask yourself every day as you start and as you think about your day. Some of us are great planners. You know how to, you know, structure your day and all. As we're asking you, add to that thought process. God, how can I be a blessing to someone today? Who are you sending me to today, Holy Spirit? Who do I need to, um, or what situation do I need to address by the help of your Spirit today? Other questions to ask, what is the prevalent need in my family, in my community? What is the prevalent need around me? If you ask, you need to expect to receive. The Spirit of God will speak to you. A phone call, something will happen showing you where God needs you. Sometimes it's even an inward look. Some people need to look inward. Another question is happening to you, and it's all in your mind. You're thinking, you're praying through. Put others first ahead of your personal agenda. Develop a sense of security and confidence that enables you to serve others. Jesus knew who he was and was secure enough to get down to serve. Some of us need to pray for the spirit of boldness and confidence. Yes, past experiences have really, really gotten you down and low. But God is restoring your confidence. He's restoring your confidence in him. He's restoring that self, sense of self, that identity. He's helping you see who you are, who he has made you to be, so that you can live purposefully. And lastly, be on the lookout for a need. Take action and desire, you know, develop a bias for action. Go ahead and pray. It's a simple prayer. Father, make me more like Jesus. That's our heart cry this morning. Father, make us, we want to live differently. We want to embrace fully the kingdom way of living, the kingdom way of living. Help us, oh God. Help us. Make us more like Jesus. Someone needs to pray. Lord, I surrender my heart to you. Use me where you have planted me. Use me where you have planted me. In the place of my planting, in the place of my calling, Father, use me for your glory. In this job, in this industry, use me for your glory. Help me move beyond what I will eat, what I will drink, what I will wear. Your word says that these are the things that the Gentiles chase after, the people who don't know you. Us and them cannot be hustling the same hustle. No. Kingdom living says seek first the kingdom seek first the ways of the kingdom seek first the lifestyle of the kingdom every other thing will be added so today lord we just surrender to you and we ask that you help us room and you have no relationship with jesus can i please ask that you raise your hand eyes closed heads bowed and the only reason we're saying you should raise your hand is so that our altars can recognize you 
put a card in your hand. We want to be able to support you on this journey. Or perhaps you would like to rededicate your heart to him. God is loving and he wants you. He wants you for himself. And that's not selfish because he has great plans for you. No one can love you like he does. A lot of us are beneficiaries of this grace and we're proud to invite you to join us. We're asking you to come home. Come home. Come to Jesus. Surrender your heart to him. Do you have questions? Do you have a... He's the only one that can answer these questions. He's the only one that can lift this burden. He's the only one that can give you the peace that you desire. He's the only one whose love truly satisfies. Not the love of a man. Not the love of money. You would have all of that money and yet you will still feel a void. So this morning, God, I thank you because you love me. I believe it. I accept it. So today I confess with my mouth. Jesus, you are Lord over my life. I invite you in. I ask that you make your home with me. Transform me. Make me new. Make me whole. Restore me. That joy of knowing you that I previously used to have for the person who strayed from Jesus. This is your prayer. The joy of serving you, the joy of knowing you, the joy of salvation, I ask that you restore to me. Father, grant me grace to walk this journey, this, this race, to run in a way and manner that pleases you and glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear Father, we just thank you for everyone who's said this prayer. And perhaps you said the prayer, you didn't indicate, you didn't raise your hand. May I be translated from the kingdom of darkness into light. We give you all praise and we glorify you. We thank you, our Father, because you will sustain them. We commend them to, the, to, you, to you and to the word of your grace that is able to build them. Father, keep them in your love. Sustain them. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. And Lord, we just thank you for everyone who's heard the word this morning. We thank you, Father, for increased capacity to be like you, to walk like you, to talk like you, to behave like Jesus. In a world where there is so much selfishness, there is so much darkness, that our lights will shine indeed. And that the way the life of Jesus compelled people to start to call the people who embraced the way Christians, we're asking for that same power in our walk with you, God, that our lives will test it in our entire lives. Jesus will be seen. Jesus will be magnified. Jesus will be glorified. And you will draw men to yourself by reason of the testimonies that our lives produce. Father, we thank you and we give you praise. We declare that this week is blessed. We are highly favored, divinely protected and preserved in every way. We thank you, our Father, for in Jesus' name we have prayed and agreed. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being in service today. Thank you for listening. We hope that the message has blessed your heart. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash lifepointng. For more information about us and all our other resources, please visit www.lifepointng.org.